This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Welcome to the Chronicles of Nania. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And we're going to dive deep inside the numbers with some of the Jets' latest coaching hires with the man who is the star of this show. That's why we named it Chronicles of Nania, Mr. Michael Nania. Michael, what's going on, man? Not too much. I'm just ready to jump into this. Uh, fresh off the bench like Seth Rollins came off the ground and won the Royal Rumble, unsurprisingly. <laughs> last night, so I'm ready to hop into this and talk about the Jets' lackluster Miami retreat coaching staff. Yeah, I was just going to say, Michael, I have no idea how long this show is going to be today, but I can guarantee you it's going to be about 95% shorter than the Royal Rumble show (laughs) from yesterday, so have no fear. We're not going six hours or anything like that. Let's start with the big fish, Greg Williams. You got some really interesting intel on him, so why don't you go ahead and let us know what it is. Yeah, so Greg Williams is I think he's kind of the saving grace a little bit with the way that Gase has built his coaching staff. Obviously, Dallas Logan just come in. He's brought in his receivers coach from Miami. So there is a lot of, a, a big vibe of that Gase is bringing in a lot of people he's familiar with rather than kind of going outside the box and admitting that his Miami tenure wasn't very successful and moving on to some of those guys. So the fact that the Jets did go out and get Williams to run the defense and obviously Gase is very offensive centric from the most one side co- head coaches in the league, getting a a guy who could lead the defense on his own, was really important. And with Williams, it's, he's really promising because pretty much everywhere he's gone, and he's been doing it for a long time, as we know, pretty much everywhere he's gone, he's made defenses better. He went to Cleveland and took that team from 30th in defense DVOA before he came in to a top-half team both of the past two years as a defense coordinator for the first year and a half until he's the interim coach in the second half of 2018. He went to the Rams, and he made that team a top-10 DV, uh, DVOA defense those two years, went to New Orleans, took a pretty bad defense, made them okay, won a Super Bowl there. Obviously, the whole bounty gate thing, but we're past that. We're just talking about numbers here. So, with Williams, he's had a long career, and it's, he's had a really strong track record. Everywhere he's gone, pretty much, he's made defenses better. The only exception, uh, he's made Tennessee better uh, back in the early 2000s. Buffalo, after a couple of years, he got better. Took a team there that wasn't very talented. The only exception was Jacksonville, who he took over, and he was the defensive coordinator there for one year. Uh, but they did lose a lot of talent before he came in. So for the most part, Williams has had a very, very, very strong track record of making defenses better and at least making them top half and usually better than that. So it's definitely a huge confidence booster for Gase to get in a guy in the defensive side of the ball that you can feel really confident is going to improve the unit. And I saw something here about a lot of elite quarterbacks that have a lot of trouble passing against him. Yeah, so I thought it would be interesting to go back and look at because obviously it's a quarterback-centric league. The Jets play in their division with Tom Brady, so it would be interesting to go back and see how elite quarterbacks have played against him. And you look at most elite quarterbacks that he's gone up against, uh, especially ones that are still active, most of them, their passer ratings against Greg Williams are lower than their career average, whether it's Tom Brady, Ben Roethlisberger, Drew Brees, Eli Manning, Russell Wilson, Matt Ryan, all those guys, even Aaron Rodgers, he can throw in there as well. All those guys, their average passer rating, facing a Greg Williams defense was lower than their career average. So he's got a strong rec- track record going up against good quarterbacks. And overall, you just look at how well he's done across many different teams, different divisions, different conferences, and over spanning eras, too, talking from the late 90s all the way up to being successful at Cleveland this past year. He's done a great job pretty much everywhere he's gone. And it was really interesting, his split as Cleveland's defense coordinator versus the interim head coach in 2018. And over the first eight weeks of the season, uh, although Cleveland was only 2-5-1 and one before uh, Williams became the head coach and then finished 5-3, and three, 
while he's the head coach. The defense was better when Williams was just the defensive coordinator. They were top five in most categories. They were forcing a ton of turnovers, not allowing too many points. The red zone defense was great. But even though they won more once Williams went to interim head coach, obviously, like I said, they finished 5-3 and three after he switched roles. Their defense wasn't as good. They were bottom half in most categories after he switched. So as a defense coordinator, he was doing elite work with Cleveland before he turned over to interim head coach. So, yeah, overall, it's definitely Williams has one of the best track records among defense coordinators in the entire league. Some of the names you have listed here are who's who of great quarterbacks in the NFL. Brady, Breeze, Wilson, Roethlisberger. So my question is, what are we looking at sample size-wise with a lot of these guys? Is it a case of just a handful of games, or is there a real track record? Because as we know, Greg Williams has been a coach in the NFL for the better part of the last 30 years. Yeah, so he's played nine games against Brady. He's played six against Roethlisberger. A couple of those this past year, and did a pretty decent job against them in those two games, especially in their uh, week one meeting, which ended up as a tie. Did a pretty good job there. He had four games against Breeze, 11 games against Eli Manning, and six games against Russell Wilson. So pretty decent sample size, and the fact is when you take all these huge names and all of them have worse passer ratings against Williams versus their career average, then it does give you a sense that this could be something legit that he has actually done a good job with in terms of limiting really good quarterbacks. And it hasn't been so much the turnovers that he's done a good job with as much as it has been limiting yardage, completion percentage, and just overall production from that standpoint. So he's definitely done a good job against those elite quarterbacks. So hopefully he can keep that up. This past season, obviously, with uh, looking at two matchups with Tom Brady, he's going to see Ben Roethlisberger next year. Uh, so the Jets do have some good quarterbacks on their schedule next season. So hopefully you can keep that up, of course. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Michael Williams is the most high-profile hire that the Jets have had so far, but he's not the only one. There was another interesting kind of under-the-radar hire along the offensive line, and that's Frank Pollock, who comes in from the Bengals. Pollock has a long career as an offensive line coach, and it's interesting to take a look at what he's done because, as we know, the Jets were very, very bad on the offensive line last year in a lot of ways. So for him to come in, he's got a tough task ahead of him, although you would assume there are going to be some upgrades along the offensive line. Tell me a little bit about what you found with Frank Pollock. Yeah, similar to Greg Williams, he's had a really strong track record of 
making their lines better and consistently having them in the top half of the league. So he was with Houston for uh, the second half of the 2010s decade, so up to about 2010 or 2011. You up 20, 2006 to 2011, he was the Texans assistant offensive line coach. 2012, he was in Oakland, and then from 2013 to 17, he was in Dallas, where Cowboys obviously had the most heralded offensive line in the league over that span. And then this past season, he's with Cincinnati. So you combine all those years over the past decade plus, he's been in the top half of adjusted line. His offensive lines have been in the top half of adjusted lines, adjusted line yards per carry 10 times. So that is rushing yards. It's from footballoutsiders.com. It's a stat that adjusts rushing yards to assign responsibility to the offensive line. So he's had his O-line in the top half of that 10 times out of 12. And his O-lines have been in the top half of lowest adjusted sack rate allowed, which adjusts for uh, opponent defense strength, adjusts for that. So the top half of adjusted sack rate allowed nine times out of 12. And he's been in the top half of at least one of those 11 times out of 12. And the Jets haven't been in the top half of one of those, I believe, since 2011, either one of those. And Pollock pretty much every year has been in the top half of at least run-blocking efficiency and pass-blocking efficiency. So... He's done a really good job everywhere he's gone. And, of course, we say this all the time with coaches. He was in Dallas, but the Cowboys did invest a lot of first-round picks in that unit. It was a really talented group. So you can't just say that it was all because of him that the Cowboys were so good or because he was with Dallas and their O-line performed well that it's going to transfer to other places because Cincinnati did struggle up front this season. Even though they did run the ball pretty well, their O-line was one of the worst graded in the league. So, it's hard to figure out with any coach, whoever you're talking about, whether it's Williams, Pollock, any coach in sports, what their true impact was. But you look at a track record over a long period of time and see how frequently he's had his units performing very well. Then it's a huge confidence booster. And like you said, the Jets offensive line, absolutely terrible last year, specifically in the run game. And also there was a, a study I saw that was posted on Twitter that they calculated the, the value of all the offensive line coaches in the league, uh, for every single team, the total amount of tackles for losses that their offensive line has allowed versus league average. So, and Pollock was number three in that metric in terms of fewest tackles for loss allowed in the run game versus league average. So, especially in the run game, he's done really well. So, he has a really strong track record. So, hopefully, it could transfer to this offensive line, which hopefully will be adding a little bit more talent this offseason. Absolutely has to. So, hopefully, they do add some more talent. But Pollock does have a really strong track record over multiple teams of coaching up some really good offensive line. Yeah, and Michael, obviously, as you mentioned, it's important to note that we can't know for sure exactly what kind of impact Pollock had on these teams because we don't know what he did day-to-day with specific players, but it is very nice to see a positive trend, and that is what you uncovered overall, right? Yeah, without a doubt. So you, you just compare him to the Jets. In 2007, I talked about, uh, so I talked about adjusted line yards per carry, which is rushing adjusted for offensive line impact, and then sack rate allowed. Since 2007, Pollock has had his offensive lines in the top half of both of those categories eight times. The Jets have done that one time in that span, and that was in 2009. So when the Jets obviously had a really talented group up front with the AC Championship, so you just compare him to the Jets and their history and how, how infrequently the Jets have been good, even though they've had a revolving door of offensive line coaches. They've even had some pretty good names in here. Rick Dennison had a good career before coming over to the Jets. Obviously, he didn't transfer here, but hopefully with some more talent and you combine it with a guy who's done a really good job as an O-line coach in this league, been a part of some really, really good units over the past decade or so, hopefully it, you are playing the positive trends really well. Like you said, 
you don't know exactly what he did. Uh, he's an assistant for a lot of those years. He was coaching some really talented players. That obviously helps a lot, but the trend is really positive. You see how frequently he's been coaching up good offensive lines. So they are playing the numbers really well from that standpoint. Let's talk a little bit about the other assistants that have come in recently, most notably Dowell Loggins. This was talked about a little bit on the Turn on the Jets podcast with Joe Caparoso. He had Evan Silva from Roto World on. Evan Silva broke down a little bit of why he thinks Loggins is not going to help Gase very much. Talk to me a little bit about what you found with Loggins and the rest of the former Miami guys that Gase seems to be bringing in with him here. Yeah, so you look at Loggins from a number standpoint, and obviously with fans, that's the number one thing that they can immediately immediately look at when a team hires a coach, just look up their staff, who they've coached, how good those teams have been. So if you look at Loggins just from a quick glance at his career resume, he's coached the Titans as the offense coordinator in 2013, Bears OC in 2016-17, obviously Miami in 2018, and it's not a good track record. That's three different teams he's been with over four years, and his highest scoring rank has been 19th with Tennessee in 2013, and since then he's been 28th, 29th, and 26th. So it's not an impressive track record, and even if you look at more advanced metrics, you look at his CVOA, he hasn't been in the top half of that yet out of four teams, and obviously those weren't the most talented rosters he's working with. We're talking about a Titans team before they had Marcus Mariota, and they were still struggling quarterback position a Bears team with Jay Cutler later in his career, and a Miami team this past season that obviously didn't have a lot of talent. But still, that's four teams that he's been able to work with, four different combinations of talent, coaching staff around him, and he hasn't even been able to build an above-average offense yet. So like we talked about Pollock and Williams, the numbers with them, they've coached a lot of different teams over a long period of time, and they've put together a really positive trend. You can be confident that the Jets are going to improve their defense with Williams, that their offensive line will be better with Pollock because it would be an exception if it wasn't, uh, regardless of what the talent may be, even though they are going to probably improve the talent on both those units. With Blockins, you're looking at it being an exception if the Jets are going to be good on offense because he hasn't proven he can do that yet. So it's definitely a little bit discouraging that Gase is going this route with a lot of these retreat coaches from Miami, where ultimately he wasn't successful. He's a losing record there, didn't win a playoff game. The last couple of years, he was really, the team was really bad the last couple of years, even though they did win seven games uh, this year and six games last year, so not terrible. The team did win a ton of close games, as I talked, to, uh, talked about in the last podcast. They won, they won a lot of close games and made them look a lot better than they really were. So the team wasn't good, and he's bringing over a lot of these retreat coaches. So it it's not that promising to see, but the fact that he is bringing in Greg Williams and Frank Pollock, these guys who are more established, who he doesn't have a relationship with, that is a good way to balance it out a little bit. So it's definitely promising to have those guys in there to balance it out with the guys he's more familiar with but was less successful with. So it's a good balance, even though you would probably prefer to see less of the Loggins type. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week, with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. One thing that I keep hearing, and it seems like a strange thing to say, is that Loggins and these other guys don't matter. They're all clipboard holders because it's Mm -hmm. Gase's offense. And so what does it matter who the coaches are? They're all just figureheads. 
Seems to me, though, Michael, that if that's the case, why even bother hiring assistant coaches at all, right? Oh, yeah, most definitely. It's kind of like a Madden mentality. The only as- Calling plays is not the only aspect of coaching. You have The reason assistants are there is to relay the game plan, help guys figure out what their role is in the offense, understand the playbook, and like I said, what their roles are. And input all this stuff in practice. All these guys matter. The head coach does not do everything. And all the stuff that you see on game day is uh, repeated in practice time after time after time. And it's not always the head coach doing that. And it's usually not, really. It's the offense coordinator has a huge role in that. And especially with a role like Lockin is going to have. He's not going to call the plays. We know that. That's Adam Gates' role. But the fact is he's going to have a huge role in inputting this stuff on game day and just being with these guys every single day. So like you said, there's so much more to it than just calling plays. It's not Madden where you just uh, push triangle or push X and choose four verticals or something. There's way more to it than that. There's relationships you got to build, fundamentals you have to develop, young players you got to bring in and help get their careers going. So there's so much more to it than just calling plays. And a guy who hasn't had a good track record and the press on him isn't really that good either. It's hard to find somebody who's going to say something positive about Dowell Loggins, who's actually been around him. So not that he's a bad guy or anything, but in terms of coaching ability, it's hard to find something good that uh, someone who has something good to say about Loggins in terms of his tenure in Miami and back to Chicago as well. So there's so much more to it than just calling plays. So his role is diminished a little bit because he's not calling plays, so it definitely does mean a little bit less, but it does not mean it's meaningless at all. It's a very important position. He's going to be the guy who's going to be the, the top mind relaying Gase's ideas to the players and getting them to understand how to run this stuff every single day in practice. So it's definitely still extremely important, even if it's diminished a little bit by the fact he won't be calling plays. But to say it doesn't matter, definitely, that doesn't make any sense at all. Michael, I always joke that not only do you provide great Twitter information on a daily basis, you provide it more or less on an hourly and almost a minute-to-minute basis. So beyond the coaching stuff, I'm sure you've been dropping interesting statistical nuggets throughout the past week. What do you have for me that you found that you think is of particular interest to Jets fans? Oh, yeah, well, one really interesting thing that I'm 100% sure you're not going to find anywhere else is I decided to look back at all of Andre Roberts' big returns this season and figure out which blockers were throwing the most assists on those blocks. So uh, the leader for the Jets, and so for this I was looking at Andre Roberts' big punt returns and big kick returns. So 15-plus yard punt returns and 30-plus yard kick returns. He had uh, five 15-plus yard punt returns and 12 30-plus yard kick returns. And so on those returns, I went back and looked at the guys who threw blocks that helped uh, spring those returns and who had the most of those on those big returns throughout the season. And the leader is a guy who isn't necessarily a fan favorite with Jets fans. Eric Tomlinson had eight of those to lead the team, and following behind him was Jordan Leggett had seven, Chris Herndon had seven, and then Frankie Louvu and Brandon Copeland followed those guys with, I believe, six each. So it's really interesting to see because special teams blocking doesn't get a lot of credit. It's similar to how a quarterback gets all the credit for the wins and losses and what the offense does. The returner gets all the credit for what the return team does, even though there are 10 other guys on the field with him building those holes. So it was interesting to go back and see which guys have had the most impact in that area since it's something that gets almost zero coverage from anywhere. So it was really interesting to see. And I thought Tomlinson in particular, like I said, he had the most assists on big Andre Roberts' punt returns this season. I thought he was blocking on the, the, in, in the return game it's actually really impressive, and I know he's a blocking tight end. He's not out there to receive, but on offense, he can be a little bit, especially in the run game, I felt like he definitely wasn't up to par a little bit for someone who's in there just for 
just for his blocking. His pass protection was pretty good most of this year. He didn't give up that many pressures over the course of the season. But in the return game, he really stood out. He threw some really good blocks, and he was smart hitting his spot. So it's an unheralded part of the game, and I thought it's really interesting to go back and look at that. This is why, if you're a Jets fan, you got to be following Michael on Twitter and you got to be reading his stuff because you're not going to get this from anybody else. And like I said, it seems like he's got a new thing to post up every minute or so. I don't know how he does it or where he comes up with this stuff, but for sure, you need to be reading his work and following him. So, Michael, for those who are foolish enough to not be doing that already, why don't you go ahead and let them know how they can? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Michael underscore Nania, N-A-N. I a uh, most of my writings at Gangrene Nation, and yeah, just follow along. It's going to be fun throughout this off season. Off season is great for just looking at looking back at the season, getting all these random stats and all this stuff that you might have missed throughout the whirlwind of the season. Now that you have pretty much nothing to talk about most of the off season, obviously free agency is coming up in a couple months, and we got the draft after that. But so uh, such a high portion of the off season is just downtime. There's not much going on. So for me, it's definitely fun to get that opportunity to. Go back and look at the past season and figure out, uh, find out some stuff that we might not have been thinking about during the season with things going so quickly. So, yeah. No question about it. Looking forward to reading your work over at Gangrene Nation and to reading all of the great little nuggets that you're going to drop throughout the week this week on Twitter. And, Michael, we will talk again next week for another edition of Chronicles of Nanny. I'm sure you'll have plenty more for us to digest. In the meantime, make sure you check out Michael's work. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcast, you know where to go. It's Turn on the Jets Digital and TurnOnTheJets.com.